Welcome, everyone, to Force of Nature Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew D. Hamilton, and I'm here with my co-host... David Bodger. Terrific. This week on the show, we have the return of our man, Jim Corbett. I'm Jim Corbett, mother... Woohoo! Yes, it's it's been a while since we have had a Jim Corbett episode... And we just covered Tigers last week, so I I thought bringing Jim back was a good timing for it. Yeah. And Jim is one of, well, probably our favorite topic to talk about on this show, and he was a big inspiration on why we started this show in the first place. It's going to be a fun episode uh, as we talk about his hunt for the Mohan Maneater. Ooh. Uh, we hope everyone enjoyed last week's episode on Bengal tigers, which is what Jim will be hunting. Tigers are awesome, and like we learned a lot about them last week. Yeah. Uh, they definitely should be protected for sure, but sometimes they can be scary monsters. Yeah, then we need to be protected from them. <laughs> uh, but yeah, go back and listen to the episode if you haven't yet. And as always, we are joined in the studio by everyone's favorite cheetah, Colonel Cheetor. Well, actually, Colonel Cheetor cannot be here today, so I am in his place. My name is Professor Cheetor. Oh, okay. Hmm. Well, that's a, we didn't. You should have told me, but um, okay. Well, do you have any information for us, there, uh, Professor Cheetor? Yes. Did you know that some people find the tiger penis to be an aphrodisiac? They enjoy putting it in their soup. Oh, I oh, thought okay. this was going to be a change from Colonel Cheetor. Well, I guess it not. is. It is true, though. Well, yeah. Uh, the ch- traditional Chinese medicine find tiger penis as an aphrodisiac, oh, I guess. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, as always, we want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to us. Um, it's really awesome to have everyone. And if you enjoy the show, something you can do to contribute is go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever platform you use. Give us a review. Give us five stars. Say something you like about the show. Uh, we Like we say all the time, the ratings and reviews really help the podcast gain more attention, gain more listeners. So it really helps. That it means more than you think. So please go ahead and do that for us. Yeah. All right, Dave. Before we get to the story... Let's first do kind of a quick recap about Jim Corbett to freshen everyone's mind about the man. All right. So Jim Corbett is one of my favorite people throughout history. He really is. That's ever since uh, I learned about him, he's like one of my my favorites. And he is most famous for hunting man-eating tigers and leopards in India. He hunted around a dozen man-eaters, and in total, these man-eaters killed around 1,200 people. Wow. That is so crazy. That's a lot of people. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, He's a British guy who was born in India during the British Empire time. Born in 1875, and then he died in 1955. Hmm. He was a colonel in the British Indian Army. He was a a hunter, a writer, a conservationist, among many other things. He wrote several books, which is my main source for all of his stories. And he was a big-time conservationist. Remember, he didn't... The thing about Jim is that he didn't like to kill the animals, but he felt a responsibility to save human lives by killing the man-eaters. Yeah. Also, he never took payment. If you remember, do you remember Uh that? Yeah. When he was hired to hunt them, he didn't want to be known as a bounty hunter. So he never... He didn't take payment. Uh, in all the pictures I've seen of him, it, it looks he looks basically what you would 
expect him to look like. Oh, yeah? For the most part. He has the typical safari-like outfit. Uh-huh. And he has, like, high socks and a hat. Uh, and, of course, a mustache. But, Heroic uh, looking? Yes, of, of Heroic course. Heroic looking chin? <laughs> But he was an expert tracker and knew how to move around the thick jungle and was an expert at making animal calls, which is mm. it's funny because that actually comes up in our story. Oh, okay. Today, how good he is at making animal calls. Oh, a small furry warbler call, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he's so, he's so good that one time another hunter almost shot him because he thought it was oh, the animal. Oh, gee. Wow. There is also a national park in India named after Jim Corbett. It is Jim Corbett National Park, and it holds many tigers in it to this day. So far, we've covered two of his stories, the hunt for the Champawat tigress. And if you remember that one, that's, yeah, that's the tiger who holds the record for most individual kills by any animal in recorded history. How many? 430? 436. Ah, that's yes. close. But that's that's the world record right there. That's crazy. Then our second one, we covered the Chowgart Tigress, or, or I guess it was two tigers, uh, which ended up being, yeah, the two tigers that killed 64 people. Mm. I mean, that's that's a lot. If you think that's still a ton, but it's like nothing compared to 436. Yeah, quite a difference. And he killed several more tigers as well as leopards. One leopard he killed is the Panar leopard. This leopard killed over 400 people as well. Oh, wow. And we will cover that story sometime. I found it in his second book. He's oh, did you? Okay. Yep. So we, when we cover leopards, we will cover this. We'll do a second episode covering this story. Okay. Uh, also, the leopard of Rudoprayag, I think that's how you say it, which killed 125. Huh. There is a whole, he has a whole book dedicated to this story. Oh, really? So we'll also cover that. It'll be like a two or three parter if, if we do okay. it. Okay. But uh, yeah, so he's killed, uh, he's killed several man eaters, and man eaters have killed, what, 1,200 people combined. Gee. Uh, uh, <clears throat> we also learned that the majority of man eaters have some kind of injury that prevents them from hunting their normal prey. Which is no different in our story today. Okay. Also, there is a subspecies of tiger named after him, the Indo-Chinese tiger. Its Latin name is Panthera tigris corbetti. Oh, interesting. Remember that? Oh. Uh, and as we've said, someone someone needs to make a film about the adventures for sure. For yeah. A lot of his adventures. If done right, it could be really good. Like you. Oh could, yeah. You could make it be like a revenant style. Or you yeah. can make it just be like uh, the Ghosts in the Darkness style. Oh, I'm thinking Revan style would be better. Yeah, like yeah. get 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 Leo to do it and make, <laughs> he'll win an Academy Award as playing Jim Corbett. There you go. And if you want to know more about him, I highly recommend listening to episode 20, where we go all over we go over all about his life, and it's one of our top hit episodes still. Hmm. And then also listen to episode 21 about the hunt for the Champawat Tigress, then episode 44 for the Chowguard Tigress. Uh, they're, they're both really good stories. So that is our recap of Jim Corbett. Now, what do you say we get to our story of the Mohan Maneater? All right, let's do it. Now, I am going directly from his book, The Maneaters of Kumeon. This chapter was a little over 20 pages, so a little bit shorter, which was okay. good for me. 
And so what I do is I put his writing into my own words to tell the story. He, he talks kind of old-timey British, and I had to uh, look a lot of words up he, that he uses. But uh, I just think it's easier this way, and I, I may put some quotes in okay. from Jim, but it's easier if I put it in my own words. All right. And unfortunately, in the book, Jim never says the kill count for this man-eater. So hmm. we don't have a kill count for it. Uh, I don't know why, but he never says it, and I don't have an exact number. But there's at least a few. (laughs) Okay. So let's start it up, Dave. Jim Corbett returns. The hunt for the Mohan Maneater. The chapter begins with this story, okay? Okay. 18 miles from Jim's summer home in the Himalayas... There is a long ridge running east to west, some 9,000 feet. On the upper slopes of this ridge, there is a large growth of oak grass. And below this grass, the hill falls steeply away in a series of rock cliffs to the Kosi River below. Hmm. One day, a party of women and girls from a nearby village were cutting this oak grass. And suddenly, a tiger appears in their midst. The women panic and scatter. In this stampede, an elderly woman lost her footing and rolled down the steep slope, disappearing off over the cliff. Mm. The tiger, evidently alarmed by the screams of the women, vanished as mysteriously as it appeared. The The women reassemble and recover from their fright. They went down the grassy slope and looked over the cliff, seeing the elderly woman below on a narrow ledge. The woman is badly injured. She suffers a broken leg and several fractured ribs and is not able to move. The other women discuss a means of rescue and they decide it is a job for the men. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. Uh, They decide to go back to the village for help. Uh, the The woman begs for them not to leave her alone, but no woman... Uh, wants to stay with her for fear of the tiger. Until one 16-year-old girl volunteered to stay with the woman. Wow. Uh, So while the rest of the women set off for the village, the brave 16-year-old made her way down uh, where a rift in the cliff allowed her to get a foothold on the ledge. She was able to reach the elderly woman... The woman asked her to move her into a shallow depression so she won't roll over and fall down the cliff. Mm. The girl was able to maneuver the woman in the depre- in the depression, but there was no room for the girl, so she just squatted on the ledge facing the woman. Mm. That, you can, can you draw a picture with yeah. that? Okay. Now, the village is four miles away. Uh, the woman and the 16-year-old speculated on how long... It, it would take for the other women to return with the men. They wondered what men would come back for them. How long would it take for some, uh, for a rescue party? How long would it take for a rescue party to arrive? They were only whispering to each other, fearing the tiger may hear them. The women continue whispering uh, with them facing each other. When suddenly the woman gave a gasp. And the girl, seeing the look of horror on her face and uh, the direction in where she was looking. Everything makes sense so far, Uh right? Yeah. Okay. The girl turned 
her head over her shoulder and saw the tiger stepping out of the rift and into onto the ledge. Oh, boy. Now, right here, I'm going to read a quote from the book and what Jim says here, okay? Okay. So this is his quote. Few of us, I imagine, have escaped that worst of all nightmares in which, while our limbs and vocal cords are paralyzed with fear, some terrible beast in monstrous form approaches to destroy us. The nightmare from which, sweating fear in every pore, we awaken with a cry of thankfulness to heaven that it was only a dream. There was no happy awakening from the nightmare of that unfortunate girl. This guy's a Stephen King writer. (laughs) (laughs) And little imagination is needed to picture the scene. That's a good quote. quote, What a quote. All right. And they're both on the ledge. So there's nowhere for anybody to go. They're stuck there. Now, an old friend of Jim's named Mathai Singh was at the village when the women returned. And he actually led the rescue party. And when the party went down the grassy slope and looked over the cliff, they see the woman there still alive. They also see splashes of blood everywhere. Oh, no. The injured woman was carried back to the village. When she was revived, she told the story. Mati Singh then uh, hiked 18 miles to find Jim Corbett. Now, uh, if this was a movie... Everything that has happened would, would make an excellent opening scene, right? And then when, like, this guy, Mathi, is hiking up to see Jim, then you can go through, like, the opening credits and the music and everything. Yeah, uh-huh. that, that's how I pictured it happening. Yeah. But um, anyway, he, uh, he Jim must have a, a good reputation. Uh, by the time Mathi Singh arrived, it had already been 24 hours. So, he, yeah, he finds Jim. And twenty, it had already been twenty-four hours since the tiger attack, and there was no point in going after the tiger by that point. Okay. Now all all the tiger left behind of the young brave girl were a few bits of bone, and her torn, blood-stained clothes. Oh, gee. This was the first human killed by the tiger, which later received recognition in government records as the Mohan Maneater. And after this first kill, the tiger went down the Kosi River for the winter, killing on its way. Among other people, it killed two men of the Public Works Department and the daughter-in-law of a member of the Legislative Council. Gee. As summer approached, it returned to the area of its first kill, and for several years it extended up and down the Kosi Valley, until it finally took up its quarters on the hill above Mohan in the vicinity of a village called Kart Kanula. Hmm. I think that's how you say it. Okay. I've been getting shit on a little bit lately on uh, pronouncing things. Oh, have you? But cut me a little slack. Some, we do cover stories from all around the world, right? And yeah. you have names of people and of places. Sorry, but I'm not going to get them all right. <laughs> Unless, of course, you know, I say Arkansas again. There you go, Arkansas. Yeah. Then, then you can shit on me for that. <laughs> All right, so um, so back in 1929, Corbett was requested to come to a district conference by the government. It was here where he was asked to hunt three different man-eating tigers that were causing problems. Mm. The first tiger on the list was the Chowgar tiger. So we talked okay. a little bit about this in our last um, gym episode. Uh, 
Uh, so he, the first, the main one that they were after was the Chowgar Tiger, which he had successfully killed. Next on the list is the Mohan and Man Eater. Okay. And third on the list is the Konda Man Eater. Hmm. We so, haven't done that one yet. No, have we, we haven't. Okay. So in our timeline, this story takes place shortly after he killed the Chowgar Tigers. Okay. So we are now in 1931. Okay. The Mohan Maneater was becoming more active and a greater menace every day. And during the previous week, killed three people who were residents of the Kartkanula village. Okay. During the time when Jim was hunting the Chowgar Tigers, other sportsmen were sent to try to kill the Mohan Tiger. All of these sportsmen failed, never even making contact with the tiger. Now Jim has the hunt for himself which is how he likes it, if you remember. Yeah. Uh, Jim says, Nerves wear thin when hunting man-eaters, and accidents are apt to result when two or more parties are hunting the same animal. Mm. Makes sense, which yeah. is why he wants to hunt alone. Yeah. So in May of 1931, Jim takes off for the village. Jim takes along two servants and two garwals, Garwales, Garwales, they're people uh, as, they're a type of people, oh. is all I got out of it. The, so he's taking them as part of his team. Uh, they must undergo a 24-mile foot journey to get there. The first day they make it seven miles and uh, camp out. They get an early start the next morning and do 12 more miles to reach Mohan. Here, Jim meets with some locals, including two forest guards who share stories that of the man-eater. Oh, okay. The most recent story was about a fisherman in the Kosi River. One guard claims to be the hero of the story. Oh. <laughs> he describes how he was with the fisherman and they turned a bend in the river, coming face to face with the man-eater. The fisherman throws his rod down and grabs the rifle off of the forest guard's shoulder. Uh, then they ran away for their. Lo they ran away from the tiger. So he stole the rifle and then just runs away. Oh. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> uh, the fisherman was leading by uh, ahead, running through a thick patch of grass, and then had fallen over a sleeping bear. He tripped over Whoa. a sleeping bear. <laughs> yeah, uh, tripped over a sleeping bear while running away from a tiger. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, the guards also recommend... Uh, wonder, did the bear pursue as well then? <laughs> well, no, so then you, it didn't. They, and then they trip over a lion on that way, and so then they're like, oh, lions and tigers and bears, all running after them. Well, no, there was a, so there was a great confusion and everyone, including the bear, just took off in different directions. Oh. <laughs> nice. Like a, like a Scooby-Doo yeah. episode. <laughs> and the fisherman and guard eventually find their way back into town and the guard grabs his rifle back from the fisherman, kind of pissed off he stole it, oh. as you would think. Uh, the guard tells Jim that the fisherman had left Mohan and the following day, left Mohan the following day saying that he hurt his leg when he tripped over the bear. Oh, I mean, I've never tripped over a bear before, but uh, I could see how he may get injured in that process. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody dies in this story, at least. And uh, also, the guards recommend Jim stay in a forester's hut, which is right near the village that okay. he's trying to get to. 
So Jim and his team continue the remaining miles and a 4,000-foot climb to Cartcanula. Uh, there was no place to get supplies uh, anywhere else uh, on their journey, so they had to carry everything at once with them. Oh. Jim's plan was to set up camp at the forester's hut near the village. Like a, It's kind of just like a small cabin in the jungle, is okay. what you can think of it. But once they near the village, Jim goes off on his own to locate the hut. While Jim scouted for the hut, he sees a woman filling a water pitcher. He doesn't want to startle her, so he gives a cough to let her know of his presence, that he's there. Mm -hmm. He approaches the woman and asks her if it's safe for her to be out here. The woman replies, no, it's not safe. But water must be fetched, and she had no one to accompany her. Her husband was busy plowing the fields, and it was the duty of the woman to fetch the water. Oh, wow. Uh, the woman also the woman asks Jim many questions. Why is he here? Is he a policeman? Uh, all kinds of questions like that. Jim says he is here to help the village by killing the man-eater. The woman then points to a large tree on a grassy slope, saying the man-eater had killed another woman just three days ago. Oh, boy. She also pointed where the hut was and said the village wasn't far either. Jim says uh, this conversation with the woman, uh, being friendly and answering her questions actually accomplished a lot. Okay. So that's kind of the culture there. That's what you got to do. Uh, mm. he, he gained her trust, and she would now spread the word to the rest of the village to tell them that Jim was only there to help. Okay. That was, that was the whole point of it. Okay. Makes sense. Jim goes to the hut, and it's only about 10 square feet and had not been used since the last hunters were there 18 months ago. Hmm. Jim waits for his men to arrive, but before they arrive, several villagers come first. So the woman was quick to tell the village about him. Okay. Jim speaks with them, uh, answers more questions, making them feel comfortable about him being there. And his men arrive, and they set up camp uh, in the hut. Jim says it is customary to engage in small talk before getting to serious questions. Okay. That's what he's doing. Jim says he will assemble a tent a little ways away from the hut for him to sleep. The villagers were horrified by this, saying the tiger regularly uses this road, and if the tiger did not eat him, it would certainly eat his men that are in the hut. Yeah. So Jim agrees he will stay in the hunt in the hut to protect the men. And now that the man eater had been mentioned, Jim can ask more about it and learn more. No more small talk. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh, how's the weather going? Good, good, good. Hey, did you get to that football game the other day? Yeah. That's... All right. It's small talk's over. Well, let's talk about this killer. It's <laughs> like how it's customary. It's kind of funny. <laughs> so the villagers begin <clears throat> sharing information about the man eater. They pointed out two different spots where women have been killed and partly eaten oh, and left within the last 10 days. They gave Jim one very interesting item of news in connection with the tiger. They said they always knew when it had come into the village by the low moaning sound it made. Hmm. And at times, the sound was continuous as the tiger passed between the houses while at other times the sound stopped for sometimes short and other times long periods. So Interesting. 
first off, this tiger is walking through the village, which is scary. Yeah. But uh, from the information, Jim concluded that the tiger was suffering from a wound. The wound was of such nature that the tiger only felt it when it was in motion, and therefore the wound was in one of its legs. Oh, That's okay. how good Jim is. He can wow. determine that stuff right off the bat. Uh, Jim was assured that no locals or previous sportsmen had wounded the tiger. But the tiger had been a man-eater for years, and the wound that he believed it was suffering from might have been the original cause of it becoming a man-eater. Okay. Jim believes the tiger's wound was either from a bullet or porcupine quills. Oh, interesting. The villagers disagree with Jim, saying it is in fine condition. Uh, the ease in which it the ease in which it killed and carried off its victims it had to be proof that it was not crippled in any way. However, what he told them was remembered and later earned him the reputation of being gifted with second sight. Hmm. <laughs> Sometimes I like how he talks. Yeah. That, like, sometimes I'll, I'll pull a sentence or two from the book, and I think that was one of them. Okay. The headman of the village said he would <clears throat> uh, said he would send word to adjoining villages of his arrival and to urgently send notice of any attacks or sightings in uh, around the adjoining villages. Okay. The villagers finally leave, and it's time to settle down after such a long day. Jim joins the men in the hut and falls asleep. He's a very light sleeper, and for two or three hours, and two or three hours later, he woke up hearing movements just outside the hut. Oh, wow. That are, that's coming right up to the back door. Jim, <clears throat> Jim lights a torch and grabs his rifle. As he opens the door, he hears an animal run off. It could have been the tiger, but it was too dark to see. No, okay. they don't, he doesn't know for sure what it was. Okay. Now, the next morning, Jim wakes up again, finding out he has a sore throat, and six of his men also suffer the same thing. Hmm. Turns out it's laryngitis, oh. probably from sleeping in the hut, which was swarming with bats, they found out. Oh. And just the condition of the hut, you know, that could do that too. Yeah. The plan this morning was for his men to uh, retrieve buffaloes from back in Mohan to use as bait. While Jim prospects where the late, the latest woman was killed, he finds evidence of the attack. The body was never found as the tiger dragged it deep into the jungle to eat the body. He finds trace he finds uh, tracks, but they're four days old, and it's no use to follow the tiger tracks after oh, okay. that. He moves into a, inspect uh, a road that leads to an adjoining village one that is no longer used due to the man-eater. Jim inspects the road looking for pug marks or anything else. He finds some scratch marks on a tree, and eventually he does find some pug marks. Okay. Footprints. Pug okay. marks. Jim is able to learn about the tiger just by examining the footprints. After some inspection, he sees that the marks are from a big old male tiger. Oh, boy. Yeah. Hey, that explains why the shrieks scared him off at the first, you know. What, the women's shrieks? Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. Girl screaming, I can't take it. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Jim also notes of the dangerous nature of investigating in an area with the man-eating tiger in it. Mm. For every obstruction in one's line of um, walk... 
It could be a bush, a tree, a rock, or uh, even unequal ground could hold a tiger waiting, could have the tiger waiting to kill you. So it'd be be a real uneasy thing to be hunting a man-eater. Jim returns back to the hut, and the two buffalo had arrived, but it's too late to put them into position. So Jim and his men don't want to sleep in a closed room again, so they just they wedged um, the door with some bushes so to get some fresh air rolling okay. in. This ended up being a quiet night uh, for Jim getting... He got some good rest. Oh. Didn't have to sleep in a tree this time either. Hmm. He he does that. He, didn't, yeah. he doesn't sleep in a tree this whole story, but oh, okay. the previous story said he's always sleeping in a tree, it seemed like. Yeah. Uh, he said his throat is feeling a little bit better to... Uh, he had some iodine and something else to help out. Okay. But the next day, he spent putting the buffaloes into position, one by where the tiger dragged the woman off, the other where he found the pug marks. Okay. The next morning, he found both buffaloes sleeping peacefully, so the tiger did not go after them. Hmm. He decides to change their positions up, and this continued for a couple of days, him changing their positions. Okay. Um, kind of waiting for it to take a buffalo. Then on the fourth evening, he was walking back from one buffalo, and as he came around a bend in the road, he suddenly got the feeling he was in danger. Ooh. Believing the tiger was on the other side of a rock that was uh, near him. Hmm. For five minutes, he stood perfectly still with his eyes fixed on the upper edge of the rock, watching for any movement. Mm. He then went forward ten paces and stood watching for several minutes. The fact that he had not seen movement did not reassure him. The man-eater was behind the rock, and he was sure about it. Wow. And at this time, there's only about a half hour left of sunlight and a mile left to hike. It would have been madness to leave the road and uh, uh, do go a different direction. Uh. So Jim puts his rifle up to his shoulder and slowly walks to pass the rock. He slowly approached it at, at an angle that if he could get a shot off, uh, he could get a shot off if the tiger was still there. Okay. The tiger, having failed to catch a Jim off guard, wasn't taking any chances. So Jim just got clear of the rock, and as he got clear, he heard a muttered growl and saw bushes move back into the jungle. Oh, wow. So he just missed his opportunity at the tiger. Mm. Well, so he says this, and I quote, The tiger had got away with a sound skin, but for the matter of that, so had I. Uh, So there was no occasion for regret. Mm. So they both got out of there. Yeah. He arrives back at the village. Villagers were disappointed he had not seen the tiger, but cheered them up when he told them that he had high hopes for the morrow. And he's right, because he will have some luck tomorrow. Oh, okay. That night, there was a big rainstorm that came through. But by morning, it was brilliantly clear. Jim gets ready to check on the buffalo again, having first cleaned and oiled his 450-400 rifle. Hmm. Uh, I believe it's a double-barreled rifle. Oh, okay. I feel like that's what they used, and I looked at some pictures. Uh-huh. Most of them were double-barreled. Interesting. Yeah, that's what, like this time period. I feel like most like hunters used a double-barrel rifle. Okay. Anyway, 
he decided to mix things up and first go towards the buffalo in the area he had an encounter the previous evening, so by the rock. Mm -hmm. A little after passing the rock, he found pug marks, thanks to the rain making the ground damp. The pug marks head in the direction of the buffalo. Jim climbed up on a rock to get a view of the buffalo. But there is no buffalo. Oh. Jim goes down to examine what happened to the buffalo, and the buffalo was actually tied to a tree as well. Uh, the rope had been gnawed through by the tiger. Wow. And the tiger dragged the buffalo away. Jeez. He discovers the drag marks from the tiger carrying the buffalo in its mouth. The hind legs were dragging on the ground, uh -huh. so he could find that. The buffalo wasn't full grown, but by it was no means a small animal. That's just how strong tigers are. He just could Gee. carry the whole buffalo in its mouth and drag it. Wow. The drag marks give something for Jim to track. He follows the trail for several hundred yards. After some time following the trail, Jim sat down on a rock, giving him a good view of the surrounding jungle. You know, what's interesting is it sounds like this tiger... Might even be just as smart as Jim, as tigers go. He 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 must have known it was a trap. We you know because if you think about it, the first time Jim went, he was just kind of changed the position mm -hmm. of it, went started to walk back, and it was there. And then this time, when he finally leaves, takes the rope off and takes it away so that he's not, you know, he's out of the trap. Yeah, pretty interesting. It is interesting. All right. So, after some time following the trail, yeah, he gets a view of the surrounding jungle. He then catches sight of a red and white object in a dense patch of undergrowth about 50 yards directly below him. Hmm. Jim says that when one is looking for a tiger in heavy jungle, everything red uh, catches the eye immediately and is, is taken for the tiger. Not only could I see the red of the tiger, but I could also see the tiger's stripes. Oh, boy. Wow. For a long minute, he watched the object intently. He then actually notices what he sees isn't the tiger. It's the dead buffalo. Oh. The red was the blood, and the stripes were the rib bones. Oh, wow. He he almost shot it at the, uh, the dead... Uh, the dead buffalo. What a smart tiger. It's making the uh, dummy it's of itself. Disguising. <laughs> yeah. So he, uh, Jim is glad that he didn't shoot at it. So but he, uh, so Jim, he doesn't see the tiger, but when a tiger leaves a kill, it's normally not very far away. Jim decides to remain there and watch for the tiger. Now, Dave, remember Jim has had a sore throat this whole time, right? Okay. At this moment, he starts to feel some irritation and grows worse until it became imperative that he has to cough. Oh. This would be bad and would spook the tiger. So instead of coughing, what he decides to do is he puts his hands together and makes the sound of a langur, which is a monkey, ah. to hide the cough. He makes the sound of a monkey. Jim knows that langurs call out whenever they see a tiger and that the tiger, that if the tiger hears the call, it it wouldn't pay any attention to it. It hears this call every day of its life, oh, so okay. it's not going to pay attention to it. 
And this actually worked. <laughs> wow. I removed the irritation from his throat and did not alarm any tigers. Isn't wow, that pretty? That's, crazy. that's a pretty badass move yeah. if you think about it. I don't know yeah. why, but it's just kind of badass. Yeah. Jim remains on the rock for a half hour longer without seeing the tiger and was confident that the tiger was not near the kill anymore. He got off the rock and moved down towards the kill. He gets there and finds the buffalo had been about halfway eaten. Hmm. Remember, tigers can eat a ton of meat in one sitting. And Jim figures that after eating that much, the tiger probably didn't go far. And it's probably tired. Hmm. He decides he's going to stalk the tiger as silently and slowly as a shadow follows the tracks. I like that one, too. Yeah. Knowing the tiger could be close any could literally be anywhere right on top of him at any any point in time so he gets about 100 yards and comes up on a flat bit of ground where the tiger had laid down he can see the imprint in the grass hmm. while observing the imprint some blades of grass where the tiger laid spring up indicating that the tiger had only been gone a few minutes at most wow the hot sunlight was hitting this spot and that's why the tiger moved and the tiger um, has still not noticed Jim at all at this point, okay? The only place for the tiger to get some shade was by a fallen tree a short distance away. Jim attributes the damp ground as to why he is able to sneak up on the tiger. When the ground is damp, the leaves don't crackle. Okay. Slipping his feet forward inch by inch at a time, he approaches the tree. He got about halfway when he sees a black and yellow object about three inches long on a rocky ledge by the tree. The object moves slightly, and it is the tiger's tail. Oh. The tail was pointed away from Jim, meaning that the head is facing towards him. Oh, okay. And, <clears throat> and he is about 20 feet away and believes the tiger is waiting to pounce on him. Mm. But he must get closer to get off a good shot. And for the first time in his life, he regrets his habit of not carrying an uncocked rifle. Oh. So the safety catch to his rifle makes a distinct click sound, and any uh, sound now would result with the tiger on top of him or running the other way. Hmm. That's pretty. That makes a lot of sense. I yeah. can easily see that being the case. So Jimmy creeps up inch by inch until the whole tail and then the hind quarters come into view. This is good and means that it is not uh, going to spring up at him. It's not ready to pounce on him. Okay. Another foot forward, and his belly came into view. The belly heaving up and down. Jim sees that it's asleep. Oh. I get the impression that the it is kind of sleeping on its back with its head facing the okay. sky. Interesting. Jim, just a few feet from a sleeping man-eater, raises his rifle to the tiger's forehead. So instead of cocking back and pulling the trigger how you normally shoot a gun, he actually holds down the trigger, then pushes up the safety catch like a reverse on how you normally shoot. Oh, wow. Either way, this works. The heavy bullet at such short range crashes into the tiger's forehead, 
with not so much as a quiver went through its body, nor did its position change. He shoots a second, and he admits unnecessary bullet to follow the first. The only change noticeable was that his the tiger's stomach had stopped heaving up and down, and that blood was trickling down its forehead. Wow. The Mohan man-eater that killed multiple people and terrorized villagers has now been killed. Gee. So, Jim then sits on uh, the fallen tree. Kind of, how he would after kill, he lights up a cigarette. Oh, okay. And just kind of take it all in. Uh-huh. And he allows his mind to wander. And he, he just isn't very happy with the way he killed the tiger. Oh, um, Jim says, and this is another quote from the book, any task accomplished gives satisfaction, and the one just completed was no exception. The reason for my presence at that spot was the destruction of the man-eater. And from the time I had left the, the road two hours previously, right up to the moment I pushed up the safety catch, everything, including the langer call, had worked smoothly without a single fault. In this, there was great satisfaction. I imagine an, an uh, <clears throat> I imagine an author must feel the same way after finishing a book. In my case, however, the finish had not been satisfactory, for I had killed the animal that was lying uh, there on there on its back in its sleep. Mm. That makes sense for Jim to say to say that he yeah. he doesn't enjoy the killing part. He enjoys the hunt, mm-hmm. not the killing, especially when done in that manner. Yeah, he was conflicted with how he killed it, but ultimately decides that he did the right thing. Yeah, um, he's not he, he he's not he's not even like in the book. He, it sounded like he was trying to convince himself. He wasn't trying to convince others, uh, and to convince himself, he brings up some good points. One. A tiger was a man-eater that was better dead than alive. Two, it made no difference whether he was awake or asleep when killed. Hmm. Three, that he, <clears throat> that had he uh, walked away and not killed it when he did, he would have been morally responsible for any deaths of human beings it killed thereafter. Yeah. Good, good arguments, and I agree with them. Uh, this may not have been... This may have been the only chance to kill the tiger, so... You got to do it. Yeah. Do what you got to do. Yeah. All right. So Jim now gives out a coup to the village who had already heard the shots and were already making their way towards him. The men help drag the tiger off the ledge, off the ledge into the grassy, into a grassy area. Now, normally this is where he would have skinned the tiger, but the villagers begged him not to saying that the people of, Kartkanula and adjoining villages would be disappointed if not given the opportunity of seeing the tiger with their own eyes to make mm, they want okay. their and satisfying themselves that this is the man eater and it is dead. This man eater this they feared this man eater for many years and it, they want to know that this thing is dead. Okay. Then they need proof. I get that. The tiger was taken back to the village where it was later skinned by Jim. Before he got started, he noticed most of the hair from the inner side of its left foreleg was missing, and there were a number of small punctures in the skin, um, from which yellow fluid was excluding. He also noticed that this leg was thinner than the right leg. Hmm. He then skinned it, and when reaching the leg, 
as he re- removed the skin. Now he pulled out one after another porcupine quills. Oh wow! So Jim was right, and the tiger was injured, and it was porcupine quills. Oh. The villagers took the quills as souvenirs, and the largest was five inches. Wow! And there were twenty-five to thirty quills. Wow! Yeah. Jeez. These these quills made the tiger make those noises. Okay. Porcupine quills do not dissolve either. This was uh, quite a sufficient reason for the tiger becoming a man-eater. Isn't it interesting how porcupines are indirectly responsible for man-eating tigers? (laughs) That's true, yeah. yeah. (laughs) They're just as dangerous. (laughs) But yeah, and Jim says that he has pulled out hundreds of quills from man-eating tigers that he's killed. Maybe the quills are venomous then. I don't know they, if they're uh, venomous. They turn them into hide, you know? From the Jekyll, <laughs> Jekyll and Hyde, yeah. Well, Dave, I uh, hope you enjoyed it. That is going to wrap up our story. Yeah, that was great. That was a good one. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I love Jim Corbett and his stories so much so that, you know what? I think we're going to do another one next week. Hey! Another Jim Corbett story. Let's do it. Which one is it? Well, I'm thinking we're either going to cover the... I haven't read either of these chapters yet, uh-huh. so I'm going to read them. The Condom Man Eater, which was okay. the, the was third the th- one on the list. Yeah. Or the Tuck Man Eater, which hmm. was his very last hunt. Oh. Which is pretty good. Which I, I have read part of this one, actually, and, and, and this one's really good. Oh, like, okay. But I, I need to read the Conda one, too. Yeah, I wish you'd go in order. It's a little late. Well, I don't know if it's... I think it is too late for that because oh, this it? is going from his first book. Everything we've done so far is from his first book. He has uh-huh. a second book where he has like the Pinar Leopard in there. And okay. I don't know the time frame of that one. Oh. But he has a couple other man eating tigers and stories in that. I don't know the time frame, but maybe okay. we could do the Conda man eater. Maybe the t- do the, t- the talk one another time. Okay. Uh, but either way, it's going to be another uh, excellent Jim Corbett adventure. Right on. All right, uh, we have a couple shout-outs to give, Dave. Hey! Uh, these are from Apple Podcast Reviews, so thank you, Bad April. Bad April! And Rockstar Brooke. Rockstar Brooke! Isn't that Bad April, Rockstar Brooke? That sounds like an 80s they, they metal band. band. Yeah. <laughs> Bad April and Rockstar Brooke. Nice. That, that's pretty good, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you. They said some nice things on their reviews. All oh, right on. But, Dave... If any other listeners want to contribute, what can they do for us? Go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, subscribe, rate, review, give us five stars, say something you like. It really helps us gain more attention, get more listeners. If you also want to become a more amazing per, uh, person that uh, wants to help us out, you can donate like uh, Jim Corbett donated to his time to Hunting <laughs> Maneaters. Yes. Yes. Uh, donations would be wonderful, and you can do that. But you can find us by our email on PayPal at forceofnaturepod at gmail.com or on Venmo on my personal account, Matthew-Hamilton-51. And all that info is in the description below. And to all the listeners, feel free to contact us if you ever want to. Tell us a cool animal-related story of you or someone you know, or if you just want to suggest an episode idea, or if you just want to ask a question or say hi, please feel free. You can email us or message us on Facebook. Also, help us grow by recommending us to family and friends. Tell them we're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google. We're on all the platforms we need to be. Uh, Dave, you have anything to add? No, I'm good. Um, Professor Cheetor, how about you? Hmm, this Jim Corbett fellow. He seems like a fine gentleman. I wouldn't mind meeting up with him and having a cup of tea. 
Yeah, I'm right with you. Yeah. I think I I'd, love... I'd join that conversation myself. Oh, I would as well. <laughs> <laughs> this is Force of Nature Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Tell your friends. Be a part of building us up. And we will see you next week. Bye.